My name is Jessamine Anderson Frain, and you're listening to Becoming Beauty. Our hearts were made for the infinite, so the ache we feel for more than this earthly life should drive us forward. But to where? And how do we get there? In this podcast, we're exploring what it practically and tangibly means, as C.S. Lewis says, to be united with the beauty we see and become part of it. This requires our entire being, body and soul. So we'll need both to journey well. Let us begin. In things of beauty, he contemplated the one who is supremely beautiful. And led by the footprints he found in creatures, he followed the beloved everywhere. St. Bonaventure talking about St. Francis. We hear a lot about God desiring a personal relationship with us. We may even believe in the depths of our hearts that this is true. Yet, we don't always understand what that looks like, how to cultivate this personal relationship, how to listen to God's call in our lives, how to see the ways that God apparently loves us so uniquely. I don't have a wild conversion story of falling away from the faith and then making some jubilant return. (laughs) I've always practiced my faith. And that's not to demean people who have a story like that. I just, that's just not my story. But even so, I look back at my journey and I can clearly see when my relationship with God became personal instead of just a concept of faith I had inherited from my religious parents. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful to have been raised in a religious home. I would not be where I am today without that upbringing. But I do believe that personal ownership of one's faith is vital to continuing on the journey when we leave our families and enter into the world on our own. For me, that happened in college. When I went to college, I knew I wanted to get involved in ministry in some capacity, which honestly is kind of odd considering the fact that I left youth group in high school And I didn't really have much of a faith community my second half of high school. The Lord sustained my faith in ways I honestly don't remember or understand, but I just counted all his grace and I stand grateful for that. I got more intentionally involved with campus ministry when I went through Rush as a freshman in college and I didn't get into a sorority. (laughs) I was devastated. And I really needed a place to pour my energy into. So I was like, well, hmm, if you're not going to let me into sorority, I'll show you. I'm going to go get involved at the Newman Center. Like that was some big lashing out. I don't know. But I just needed a place to pour my energy and time into. So I devoted a lot of my time to the Newman Center. Thank you, Jesus, for that great mercy. I am so glad that it turned out that way. Through my ongoing involvement and um, growing involvement at the Newman Center, I found myself spending a lot more time at church than anywhere else on campus, except perhaps the music school where a majority of my classes and rehearsals were. But the church became my home. It became my home, and it was a faith home separate from that of my parents. My faith became mine. It was my decision to go to Mass on Sunday. It was my decision to seek spiritual guidance from the priests and the campus minister. These relationships rooted in faith led me to a personal encounter with Jesus that changed me. Prayer, consistent prayer, became a part of my life. I grew in knowledge of the sacraments. 
I started to learn what the church actually teaches and adjust my life accordingly. I gained friends who shared my values and also wanted to grow in their faith. So I would say that my faith became personal in college. For a long time, I said that college was the place that the Lord really encountered me. But now, after a lot of prayer and study and reflection, I realized that college was the place I began to open myself to the Lord, to to develop a posture of receptivity. But the truth of the matter is that the Lord has been encountering me my entire life. He was waiting for me to respond. As Christopher West puts it when he teaches theology of the body, the Lord has been wooing me, and he has been wooing you too. I cannot speak to the ways that the Lord woos you or pursues you or encounters you. Why? Well, it's just as we've already discussed. The Lord meets us personally and uniquely. So I'm going to share a few of the ways the Lord has wooed me to hopefully inspire you to reflect on this and ask the Lord to reveal to you the ways he has been wooing you your entire life. The first thing that I that came to mind, I guess, when I was reflecting on this was musicals. I have always loved musicals ever since I was a little kid and I would... I don't know, we had a lot of soundtracks like on CD and we would watch VHS tapes of musicals when I was a kid. But I remember like checking out this five disc set of Broadway CDs. It was like a Broadway compilation CD um, from the library. And I mean, I probably had every single song on those CDs memorized. I just loved it. I actually still have the coffee table book that like accompanies the CD set. So the first thing I thought of was musicals. I just always loved them. And I know a part of that is because my parents exposed them to me, but there was a reason for that. So as I was thinking about like, well, how, okay, so I've loved them, but like, how did God woo me through them? And a few things came to mind because when I think about wooing, I think about how God reveals himself to me and like reveals his love for me through these things. And so the first thing I thought of was that God reveals his grandeur through musicals. I have always loved the glamour. I've loved the beautiful costumes and the big dramatic orchestrations. And when I'm in shows, like I just, I love all the big things, the the lights and the full face of makeup and just the grandeur of it all. And can some of this, you know, teeter on that line of, of vanity and um, frivolity? Yes, all good things can go in a bad direction, right? That's because of our sin, the things that are good go in a bad direction. But I don't think that grandeur in and of itself is a bad thing. God is majestic. He is a king. He is a creator of this huge, magnificent world. Look at some of the things in creation. He is a God of grandeur. And so I feel like when I was a little kid, he was revealing grandeur to me. He was revealing his majestic nature to me through my love of grand, glamorous things. I still love looking at old photos of beautiful gowns and like going to, you know, the clothing exhibits and museums. Mm, I just love it. And so definitely through grandeur. I also think that, I mean, this could be a little far-fetched, but you know, this is my story. So I will share my story. Um, The idea of like many parts, one body. And what I mean by that is 
there are all of these elements that make up a good musical. There's obviously the music and the script, but there's costumes, the right actors, there's specific lights and lighting cues and sound effects and choreography and tiny little details on costumes and all of these things. I've even had to learn how to do different kinds of makeup to appeal to different decades and, and or different eras in time, right? Um, all these show elements, when one of them is missing, the show is lacking. And the same goes for the church. When, when, the church, when someone who is in the church is not um, living up to their potential by using the gifts God has given them, like the church lacks something. It lacks that gift God has designed to be used that is not being used. And in a musical, in any kind of production, I feel like I grew to appreciate that we required all of the parts to have that one body. I, when I worked at a, a summer festival called Ohio Light Opera for a few summers, I got to know a lot more of the crew than I had ever gotten to know before. I'd always ever kind of just known the other actors, the other performers. But at OLO, I got to know all of the, the crew members, the tech side, the orchestra members. And I feel like that experience really helped me develop a greater appreciation for all of the parts and pieces that go into making a production really beautiful. The third thing about musicals that I feel like is just, I mean, this is more of an obvious one, but just the beauty of the music. God God was revealing beauty to me through these melodies and the orchestrations. I mean, can you, if I say the sound of music, can you hear the beginning of the movie? Right? Like we all hear it in our heads and that is powerful. So that's musicals. That's my big one. That's just like, oh, I just love them. Even as an adult, they're just, they fill my heart so much. The second thing I thought about was performing, which is related to the first, but it's again, it's a part of my story. So they're all connected in some way. But I feel like um, through performing, God was revealing himself to me through the gifts that he gave me. So he gave me the gift of this voice. He gave me the gift of stage presence. And he revealed to me over time that the gifts that he bestows upon us are from him and for him. And it took me a really long time to understand this. And it's still a battle I fight interiorly when I'm performing. I just always want to make sure like, okay, Lord, like, am I doing this for your glory or mine? But he was revealing his glory to me through my own gifts. And he does the same for you with all of your gifts, whatever those are. Not all gifts are designed to be lived out on a stage. Um, but there are things I guarantee you, you do not want me doing that you are very good at, right? So he was revealing himself to me through the gifts that he gave me. And also he was revealing our need for communion to me through my time on stage. I feel a true experience of communion with God and communion with others through performing. I, I don't know how to explain it because it really does feel like a grace. Um, but I just, I feel so close to the Lord when I am up there because I'm using these gifts he gave me. Um, I'm, ex I'm sharing beauty with other people. I'm communing in beauty with other people when I get to sing. It is such a magnificent experience and God is in all of that. He's in all of that. The third thing, total shift here. The third thing that I thought of was winter sunsets. Oh my goodness. The Lord has wooed me through winter sunsets. Winter can be kind of a tough season for me. 
I feel a little gloomy sometimes. I sometimes have to pull out my happy light, take some extra vitamin D supplements in the wintertime. Um, but he's really spoken hope to me in the midst of that dark season through the sunsets. I don't know what it is. I don't understand the science of it, but I have to tell you, and I, I you may agree with me, winter sunsets are the most magnificent sunsets. I don't know what it is, but they just seem so much brighter and richer and more magnificent than any other time of year. And I feel like God was teaching me a very profound truth that there is beauty to be found even in the harshest season. Yes, the natural seasons that we experience in creation, but also the spiritual seasons of our lives. When we are in a desert, when we are in a spiritual winter, there is still beauty to be found among that difficulty. And also, I feel like God was has also been revealing that we sometimes have to be stripped down in order to gain clarity. Because I think one of the things that makes a winter sunset so beautiful is that you can see the trees silhouetted against the sky. And so we wouldn't be able to see the sunset as clearly or as beautifully if things weren't bare. And so we, as his beloved sons and daughters, have to be stripped bare sometimes in order to see the magnificence of God and to see how desperately we need him. The fourth thing is moving water. I have always found it mesmerizing. And I have to be honest, this is this is one of the ones I have a really hard time understanding like the specifics. Like I can't just say like, oh, well, God was revealing this to me or God was revealing this to me. Generally, he reveals himself to us through the beauty of creation. And so this is an aspect of creation. But for me, I feel like um, I've just always found moving water so mesmerizing, whether it's a creek running over rocks or ocean waves or I don't know, rivers, just all sorts of things. I have just always loved to look at it. And my parents took us to a lot of Indiana state parks when I was a kid. And I just like you, you had to pay me to pull me out of the creek. Like I just loved playing in the creek. I wanted to take my shoes off and get in the water. And I feel like for me now as an adult, moving water, especially in things like state parks, or if there's a creek we can play in, it invites me to pause and play. I become more childlike when I'm around moving water, even at the beach. Like I just, there's something that's pulled out within me that turns me into a child. And I think that's really important because I can take life really seriously sometimes. And that's, that's an area I struggle with. I struggle with playfulness. So maybe that's, maybe that's what it is, but I've just always loved moving water. And I feel like the Lord has been inviting me to pause and play when I'm around moving water. The last thing I wanted to talk about is food, especially appetizers, and most especially anything that is salty and smothered in cheese. And I, I think, again, we forget that like God gave us all these things. He gave us cows that make the milk that make the cheese. He gave us salt. He gave us yeast that makes bread dough. He, he gave us all of these things. He created them, okay? What we do with them is our choice. He gives us that opportunity to co-create with him. And that's what it is. It's like cooking and baking is an act of co-creation with God. What a gift. What a cool thing to think about. That like every time I pull out my sourdough starter, which frankly is still a miracle. I don't understand the science. It's wild to me. Um, How it feasts on the yeast of the air and all of that. It's like, I get to co-create with God when I make a loaf of bread. I get to co-create with God even when I cook a meal with Brussels sprouts and 
chicken and whatever, right? Like I, I get that opportunity every time I'm in the kitchen and I feel like he gave us these ingredients and when we make really good things with them, it's a celebration of our co-creation. And so, oh, I love a good appetizer. I love things that are covered in cheese and salt and God gave me those things and he delights in me delighting in them. And so, so help me, I will continue delighting in my salty, cheesy things. So I'm going to ask you a question now, which is how can you start to pay attention to the way God woos you? So here are some questions I'm going to give you to think about. Is there something that brings you a lot of joy that may seem odd to other people? What were you drawn to as a child? What brings out your inner child? What makes you come alive? What is your favorite way to pray? What is your favorite way to play? What could you do, look at, or experience for a long stretch of time without getting bored? What simple thing or simple things bring a smile to your face when you think of them? God delights in you delighting in these things. He created all of these awe-inspiring things from the simplest of things like salt to the most magnificent mountains. He created this beauty for us and he is delighted when we recognize that all of this beauty is him reaching out to us personally. When we encounter God through our senses, we begin to recognize the importance of our bodies. Without our bodies, which are designed by God and for God, we wouldn't have the ability to experience beauty. The sight of a sunrise, the smell of a bonfire, the taste of a cheeseburger, the touch of a toddler's hand, the sound of laughter. The most profound way that God shows us the importance of our bodies is by the very fact that he took on a body to enter into humanity and be with us. The incarnation, which is God taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, reminds us how good our bodies are and how much God delights in us encountering him through our bodies. In his pursuit of us, he doesn't ignore the body and just go after the soul. That would be silly. He pursues us in our humanity, in our very bodies by appealing to our senses. That's why all of the ways that God woos me and you involves our bodies. Sometimes on our faith journey, we can live with the misconception that it's entirely our responsibility to meet God. We have to go where he is. We have to find him. But this mindset fosters an attitude of self-reliance, which St. Teresa of Avila says is the greatest obstacle to holiness. Instead of thinking we have to seek God, I think it's more important and more impactful to receive God, to open our eyes and our hearts to the ways he is already acting in our lives, to the ways he is wooing us, the way he is meeting us and pursuing us. I am going to shift over to sharing some passages from a book that offers great insight on this particular topic. In the early 1960s, a young bishop named Carol Watiwa gave a retreat for artists during Holy Week. This young bishop would go on to be St. Pope John Paul II, a man whose faith 
and yes to God profoundly changed the world and the church. The retreat was recently rediscovered and released in English for the first time by the Theology of the Body Institute, and I worked through the retreat with a small group of fellow creatives. It was eye-opening and life-changing. I'll leave a link to the book in the show notes because it is well worth your time. In the fifth and final lesson of the retreat, St. John Paul II challenges the retreatants to look at religion from God's perspective instead of man's perspective, which I had never really considered before. It's worth reading the entire passage. So instead of summarizing this great saint, I'm just going to share his words. We view religion from man's perspective and almost exclusively from this perspective as a certain set of rules, principles, and responsibilities for what we have to believe, for what we must do. This view of religion is very short-sighted and weakens the strength of religion in us. We most certainly need to view religion from the perspective of God. And indeed, the gospel, in particular the passion of Christ, allows us and helps us to view religion, what it is, not only from our perspective, but from God's perspective. We then see that it is a great plan of God, a great engagement of God himself in relation to us, of God, it could be said, coming in our direction. So long as we don't see that, our entire religion and religious attitude will be half-hearted. We only see that we must, I must believe, I must fulfill these or other responsibilities, and we don't notice that this I must comes at the very end. At the start, there is the great thought of God and the great love of God who engaged himself in relationship to me. He came in my direction. He came out in my direction and walked in my direction and continues to walk in my direction on very strange paths. If I would experience religion in its fullness for once, that is, from God's perspective, then a fundamental internal revolution, a transformation would take place. The world changes. It gains a completely different meaning. And my position in the world also changes and takes on a different meaning. For as long as I remain just a starting point and at the same time the subject of all these musts, all these weights, I do not have a sense of the meaning of my existence. But from the moment that I sense or become convinced that I am loved, that someone is seeking me and wants to find me, that someone is coming in my direction and that it is truly he, God. From that moment, a kind of fundamental revolution and transformation takes place in me. Wow. (laughs) If you want to pause and just sit with that for five minutes or like five days, please be my guest. I seriously was stuck on this chapter for almost a month this section in particular, and I go back and reference it often. He goes on to discuss how this pursuit um, continues through Holy Communion, through through the Holy Eucharist, which we receive at, at Mass. Jesus Christ gives himself to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He is truly present in that humble little host, which many of us either doubt or take for granted. I know I sometimes find it hard to recognize the enormity of this gift when I'm at Mass, but my acknowledgement, or lack thereof, does not diminish the fullness of Christ's gift, the gift of himself through the Eucharist. St. John Paul II says this, 
The gospel continues today, primarily through communion, through Christ's coming to us. This is the never-ending extension of the gospel, the continuation of the coming of Christ to each person, so that no one could say that he is far away, and that all we would have to do is to seek him, but so that each of us can become personally convinced. He is seeking me. He wants to find me. He is coming to me. After reading this book, I do not receive communion the same way. I even avoid the language, actually, of going to communion or taking communion because God is coming to me and he is giving himself to me. Nothing is about me going and there's nothing to be taken. God freely gives himself to me. He comes to me. He meets me at the altar. He pursues me and desires to be consumed by me. What an immense mystery this is. At our church, we have what's called an altar rail. So instead of the priests and Eucharistic ministers coming down from the altar and waiting for lines of people to come and receive, people kneel along a rail, like in front of a railing in front of the altar. And the priest stays behind the rail on the same side as the altar and gives communion to those kneeling at the rail. I hope that visual makes sense. If it doesn't, just Google altar rail Catholic church and you'll see what I'm talking about. For me, this setup, I guess for lack of a better word, this reinforces the truth that Jesus comes to me. I'm not pursuing the Lord, but rather receiving all that he offers. And this is exactly what our Blessed Mother shows us. Mary is the perfect model of receptivity. When the angel Gabriel came to her and told her what the Lord was asking, she said, let it be done unto me according to thy word. And then she received the Holy Spirit as her spouse and conceived the Son of God in her womb. (laughs) Like, what? This is nuts. This is nuts. The incarnation, truly, it's mind-blowing. And we could meditate on the incarnation, just that, for the rest of our earthly lives and never get to the bottom of the mystery. It's just something that in our human capacity, we cannot wrap our brains around on this side of heaven. That doesn't mean we shouldn't meditate on it, but it's, it's just bottomless. If you, like me, struggle at all with self-reliance and pride, I would encourage you to pause and take the ideas we've talked about to prayer. Take this idea that God is wooing you and always has been. Take that to prayer and, and really reflect on this. How has he pursued your heart in simple ways? How has he been loving you even when you weren't aware of him? Or even more so when you intentionally rejected him. Think about on the cross. Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. We reject Christ all the time when we choose things other than him, when we sin, when we choose the lesser good that he offers us. But he loves us despite all of that. He loves us in the midst of all of that. So I want you to to really ponder How has he loved you? How has he still been wooing your heart when you've rejected him? I promise that if you ask for your eyes to be opened to the Lord's pursuit, you will encounter him everywhere, everywhere, in every speck of beauty in your life. He's in all of those little specks of beauty because he created them and he desires to meet you there. 
Each week, I have decided that I'm going to share something beautiful that I experienced through my body and my senses. I like when podcast hosts have kind of like their little thing at the end of the episode, like on one of my favorite podcasts is called the Abiding Together podcast, and they all have their one thing. Um, And then another podcast I listened to work and play with Nancy Ray for a while, she had like, just a favorite book or a favorite um, thing that she's been using lately. So for me, mine's going to be an experience of beauty through my body and my senses. So it could be a recipe, it could be a song, it could be something I saw on my walk, anything that reminded me through my human senses that God is encountering me through beauty. I'm going to start by sharing a recipe I made recently. I love to bake. That's something kind of fun about me. I love to bake. My mom, um, she was an avid baker and a marvelous baker. And I'm still waiting for my cookies to turn out as uniform as hers. (laughs) But My dad reminds me that hers were not all perfect when she started either. And so I've got a long road ahead to make my cookies as beautiful as my mother made her cookies anyway. So I'm going to start by sharing a recipe I made recently. They're cookies called Texas Ranger cookies. And these came from a 4-H cookbook from my home county back in Indiana. And I love them. Even my husband, who's not really a dessert person, thoroughly enjoyed them. And I didn't tell him that they had coconut in them until after he'd eaten a few. So joke's on you. (laughs) Uh, I just, I remember my mom making these cookies when I was younger and I've always really enjoyed them. So I will share that recipe for Texas Ranger cookies in the show notes. That's all for this week. I pray that you can begin to see how much the Lord delights in you, delighting in him. Have a lovely week. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Becoming Beauty. I hope today's episode blessed you. There are a few simple things you can do to share the message you heard today. One, share this episode with a friend who needs it. Two, share this episode on social media. Three, leave a rating and a review so more people can find this podcast. I would so appreciate your help getting this podcast into the ears, hearts, and minds of more people. Have a lovely week.